what if I told you that being in the right place at the right time was not a circumstance of luck? What if I told you it's a skill that you could learn and leverage to achieve your goals and dreams? This is the Right Place Right Now podcast with Travis Fields and Brandon Johnson. Dahlia Lorenzo has more than a decade of professional experience in over 22 international roles across eight countries while working for the UN and other international organizations. While working for the UN, Dahlia noticed a pattern. She hadn't applied for a job in several years, yet she was getting great job offers all the time. But why? What was she doing differently? She realized that she was a sought-after authority in her field, so much so, she was getting offers of positions that never even made it to job posting boards. She calls these the hidden job market. Dahlia wondered, surely this isn't something only I'm capable of? Is this process repeatable? Turns out, the answer is a resounding yes. Today, Dahlia runs Accelerate Your Ambitions, where she's helping professionals who are successful, yet unfulfilled and passionless, find highly paid work that they actually love and enjoy doing. That sounds nice. She started her business because she was sick and tired of watching people break their backs to be successful on paper and still feel directionless and unfulfilled. She wants people to know that it is actually possible to have money, freedom, and enjoyment in your work. Dahlia's put together a system that has helped professionals go from struggling to find their purpose to getting their dream job in as little as eight weeks. She truly believes that if every professional worked on causes that they were passionate about, our planet would be a completely different place. If you're contemplating a career change, this conversation is definitely for you. Enjoy Dahlia Lorenzo. Dahlia, thanks for joining us. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. I am, I am great. How are you guys? Doing well. I must admit, we were, when we reached out, I didn't realize you were in not only just like a different time zone, but a completely different part of the planet. So thanks for taking the time to get together with us. It's actually in the morning where I am in the evening where you are in Switzerland, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. But I'm, I'm used to dealing with the different time zones. I have a lot of clients based in, in the U.S., so we're always looking for time slots that match up with everyone everyone's schedules. It's a, it's a problem that you've been able to resolve. So when you talk about clients, I want to get a little bit into what you do to kind of start this off. You have a lot of international clients, right? What do you do for those people? So I run a career coaching program, helping people who are basically unfulfilled or bored in their jobs to switch to careers that they're actually excited about that still pay them really good money. So that's kind of the premise of the, the program that I run. And in addition to that, I do communications consulting. So I'm not one of these career coaches who hated their corporate job, quit, became a coach, and now tries to help other people also quit their corporate jobs and everyone just becomes coaches. I still, you know, do, I'm still in the corporate world doing various communications projects. And how did you, so which one is the chicken or the egg? Were you in consulting first and then got into the coaching or coaching and then consulting? Yeah, I've been doing communications consulting for about 10 years, mostly with uh, the United Nations and a couple of other international organizations. And then I branched off into some of the career coaching because I had a lot of people asking me about how I was getting my contracts, how I was getting the kinds of jobs I was getting. So that's how it all got started. What is your background? Because a, a communication consultant isn't something that you can just roll off the couch and go on Indeed or some platform monster and just get that job. 
there's got to be some pathway there. What is kind of take us back to getting to that point? Yeah, I mean, communications as a job, it's very, very broad. There are so many different types of communications. I'm the type of person who um, I like to think of myself as like Leonardo da Vinci. I like to do a lot of different things. Some people really only like to do one very specific thing, and that's their specialty. I'm one of these people who likes a lot of different things, so I try to incorporate a lot of different types of work into my career. So I started out in journalism in terms of my studies. Then I did a couple of jobs, internships in journalism, television, radio, things like that. And then after that, um, one thing led to another. And I guess, you know, right place, right time, like the name of, of your of your podcast, I ended up getting into the UN and then continuing my career that way, doing more communications for development type of work. Can you give us a little more insight to that right place, right time? Like that job just kind of fell in, it doesn't magically fall in your lap or was there something that you did to set yourself up for that? There were a number of things. And this is something that I think about a lot because I have a lot of people come to me and they say, Dahlia, how do you get your contracts? You know, what's the magic, what's the magic pill? Especially when it comes to jobs like the UN, you know, it's, it's very in demand. A lot of people want to work there. And uh, there are a couple of other companies and types of jobs like that, the so-called quote unquote dream jobs that everyone wants. And so people will always ask, well, what's, what do you need to do to get there? As though there is either one magic pill or one magic formula. And there is a formula. And this is why I started doing the career coaching. I tried to distill everything that I had done into a kind of step-by-step process and look at other people around me and my colleagues and see what they did and create a process that can be replicated. But in the replication of that process, you're always going to be adapting it to you and to your own journey. And it's never going to look exactly like someone else's. And they're always, even if, even if you do everything the right way, you're gonna have all these serendipitous moments and things that don't look anything like what someone else did. So you can't just copy exactly what someone else did, but there are principles you can you can follow. And these are the success principles and career principles that really everyone should be using to create those, those magic moments, like you said, where you get those dream job offers, you get those dream introductions, and then one thing starts to lead to another. So to answer your question, what did I do? What happened with me? Um, Again, there wasn't that one moment because there were a number of different moments that led up to where I am now. And I'm sure they're going to continue to be moments like that. It's not like one, I I think it makes a great story, right? That one moment when everything changed. But most of the time, there are a series of moments, a series of actions that you take. Some of those moments will stand out more than others. But a lot of times it's really maybe boring actions or actions that don't seem that big or that special that might lead you to, to where you get to. So it was, it was really a number of things that I did. It was doing the networking properly, the branding, showcasing my value, and then reaching out to people in the right way that enabled me to get the positions that, um, that ended up set, sending me at first to Switzerland with my first job at the UN and then across um, a number of different countries doing other field missions. So you talk a lot about in your intro, like you had a lot of jobs in a lot of different positions. What were some of the patterns that you started to notice that you said, I can change this. I can be in control of this. This can be replicated. What are some of those patterns? Yeah. In terms of getting, getting positions, right. And not uh, just relying on- yeah. Or like just the, I mean, I, I assume all of that, experience is what led you to create this course. 
what did you start noticing in your own life that you said, Hey, other people are experiencing this too. And I could help them hash this out. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, in terms of key, key things that can be replicated, there were a number of them. I think it all starts with the belief that you can do the things that you want to do. That's the fundamental layer is eliminating doubt, eliminating, is this really possible for me, et cetera. Because every if you if you try to take steps forward, but the doubt is still there and you haven't locked in that mindset piece, then every time you move one step forward, you're going to go two steps backwards. And it's just going to be much harder and longer to get to your goal. And a lot of people kind of try to get to a goal, but at the same time, they doubt it. And they're, they're still asking themselves the question, oh, but what if it doesn't happen? Is all this for nothing? You know, what if I fail? And, all, and if all that kind of stuff is still going on at some level in your mind, that's going to take away from your goal. So that's the first level is to stop doubting and just believe if that's your goal. Okay. From now on, you believe that this is going to happen. That's, that's meant for you. And so that's the mindset piece. And then once you've locked in the mindset piece, then you can start worrying about the, well, not worrying, but you can start taking action on the, the, uh, the value aspect. So that's really recognizing what it is that you have to offer and um, within yourself so that you're, you're confident about what, what you have to offer, but also how do you communicate that to the outside world? Sometimes what you might think is really cool and valuable about yourself is not at all what employers think is valuable and why they would want to hire you. So getting really clear from your own perspective, but also from the employer's perspective about what's valuable, and then being able to communicate that in the right way to them so that you become this go-to specialist. And you're not someone who's just applying for jobs and having this perfect CV that you hope is going to get you noticed, but you're really someone that people, people come to you. Like you don't even necessarily have to apply to jobs. You just become known within your industry and they, they start coming to you with, with positions. Is that something that you're, you're really found a structure and some key principles that anybody can set up so that they can put themselves in a place of authority within a specific industry that they're the recognized go-to person or the name? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Any industry you either are in right now or want to get into, you can set yourself up as that authority, as that go-to specialist, that person who's known within your community, within your tribe, within your industry, so that people do know who you are and start reaching out to you with great opportunities. Have you found success with people leaving corporate jobs and becoming entrepreneurs? Does this translate to that world as well? Yes. So that's a really interesting phenomenon that's happening right now in, in the job market in general. Everyone is getting very interested in, in entrepreneurship. And I think it's such an amazing thing because even if you choose to pursue a career in the corporate world, you should still be thinking about your, as yourself as an entrepreneur regardless. And I really think that these days we're all entrepreneurs, we're all CEOs of our careers, of our lives, and we need to be taking decisions in that way. So it's no longer this old way of start off, start off with an internship or in the mailing room and then work your way up the ladder until you get to a good position within the company. Yeah. <laughs> I see that um, Brandon's laughing. Yeah, this is yeah. really like the stereotype old school. thing. It's, it's a really old school way of thinking. And I think we all know that it's not like that anymore, but a lot of people, this is the only way that they know. So they're still trying to get in at the bottom and then work their way up, which I'm not saying it can never work, but it is an outdated approach. And you have so much more freedom when you see yourself as, 
almost like your own company, regardless of whether you're actually running a company, and you, you see yourself as an authority within your industry, and you're not dependent on one employer, and you don't think that this employer is going to take care of you for life and then pay you this great pension. Like, none, you know, the future is really not certain. None of us knows what's going to happen. And so it's much better to have you know, if you're working for a company, it's because you love that company, they love you, you have great synergy together, it's going really well, and um, and you're an expert in your field, and they want to work with you. And you also want to work with them because their values match with yours, and they allow you to do the work that you want to do in this world, make the planet, that you, uh, make the impact that you want to make on the planet. Can we dig a little deeper into the value piece of that? I know so many people who just think they don't have any value or don't add any value to a situation. How do you teach that? That's that's a great question. It's a very deep question. I mean, it could go very deep and we can talk about that for, for many hours. There's this whole, um, I think one of the biggest challenges for a lot of people is the sense of deserving, which is kind of sad to say, but a lot of people really don't feel that they deserve a great life. On the surface, if you ask them, of course, they'll say, well, my goal is to be happy. I, I wanna be happy. You know, of course I deserve this, that's what I want. But then at a deeper level, they actually don't feel deserving and they actually do doubt, well, am I really better than the next person applying? Maybe not, this is pretty competitive. What's so great about me? So it's really, really important to get clear on what your value is. And the thing is about your value is it's not necessarily a comparison with other people. I think people have a really outdated concept, again, of the application process and of applying to jobs where they think that the employer is going to take all 100 or, you know, in some cases, a thousand applications, and then they're all going to be equally measured up against each other with little check boxes, and then the winner will win the job, you know, whoever has the most check boxes will win. And that's not so that's not exactly how it works. You know, it's not about you being better than the next person. It's about standing out in the right way, getting attention from the person you're looking to, to get in with, not just yeah, and also having the value value alignment with the employer. I mean, if you have the, all the credentials, the best education, so much experience, but the employer just doesn't have a good feeling about you, then they'd rather go with the person they have a better feeling about or the person who got recommended. I mean, this is a really annoying thing for a lot of people when they know they're way more qualified than someone, but the other person gets the job because they have an internal referral, they know someone, and they get the job ahead of them. And obviously, that's very annoying, and everyone hates that, but... Why, why shouldn't you be that person? Why, why shouldn't you have the internal referral? Why shouldn't people know already who you are and want to hire you because you have that reputation? So um, it, it's less about let's all hate the system or hate that this is how it works and more about, okay, well, how can you make that work for you? And you become that go-to person getting those referrals because you're just so great and well-known within your industry. What was your aha moment for this whenever you realized I can become authority and have people coming to me for this. Was there like an event or a couple series of events that just kind of clicked for you? I would say one of the first moments when I realized that was when I realized it had been a couple of years that I kept getting job offers and I really didn't have to worry anymore about having gaps between my contracts because I used to have short-term contracts and, you know, in the very beginning of my career, right, you graduate, you just hope someone's going to hire you. And I graduated during the, the recession and everyone was telling us there are no jobs out there, especially for you. You're studying journalism. Forget about it. Good luck to you. Um, and so you kind of have that sense that you should be very afraid and you're probably not going to get anything. And if you do get something, then you're lucky to, to have it. 
and I had a few really terrible jobs where I was going, oh, wow, is this, is this what I'm destined for for the rest of my life? Is this really the world of work, this type of job where everyone's sitting there and putting eye drops into their eyes because they've been staring at the screen for eight hours nonstop and you know this kind of stuff. So yeah, it was pretty discouraging. And then in the first maybe couple of years of my career, it was that constant, well, will there be another contract after this one? What if, what if there is no more contract? What if it all comes to an end? And then a couple of years in, when I really started getting the roles that I wanted, and I realized I was getting multiple offers, and I was having to say no to people, and I, I realized, okay, I'm really quite in demand. I'm not going to suddenly end up with no more job offers. You know, I've created my network. I've created my my name within the industry, and, and that's when I realized things had really, really changed. What were some of the intentional practices you put into place for yourself to build that network in that community? Oh, that's another great question. So one of the things that I started doing, it's a great question because it really was intentional. It wasn't like, oh, I just started getting lucky and then kept getting lucky. And then I realized I was going to keep getting lucky. You know, there were there were a couple of things that I started to do. So and, and, and it's a good question. I'm saying that because a lot of people think that, oh, I just need to get my foot in the door. Once the foot is in the door, then everything will just be fine. Everything's going to work out. But I know a lot of people who have gotten one great opportunity. And, you know, in my case, for example, I've seen a lot of people get a UN contract or some kind of a great contract. But then, for whatever reason, the contract ends or, it, you know, they, some people, a lot of people got laid off during the pandemic, for example. And some people stay there. Some people never get back up to where they would like to be. And whereas other people, yeah, it does turn into this great opportunity that just keeps flowing into the life that they want. So there, there are differences between these two people and it, it's not just luck, it is creating these intentional practices. So for me, what those practices looked like were, number one was getting clear on what I wanted out of life. So on a very regular basis, I have a look at what's my vision for my life? What are my goals for this next year? What's, what are the things that I'd like to accomplish? And I don't look at it in terms of career and job and work. I really look at it in a more holistic way um, because you can't separate the two, especially these days. You can't just say, I'm just going to focus on my career goals and then forget about your, your personal life. Like Both are completely intertwined who you are in your job is going to influence who you are as a person because it's the impact you're making. It's how you spend at least eight hours of every single day. You can't separate the two. Plus these days we all have our phones and we end up answering work emails all the time. So, um, so really looking at what I wanted in life. And then after that, again, getting clear on what it was that I had to offer, how I was explaining my achievements and what I could do for, um, for employers. And then really in a, in, a, in, a, in a very intentional way on a daily basis, focusing on those goals and, and not letting them go. And, and one of the big, big things for me was letting go of doubt. Because I used to be someone I thought was very balanced. So I thought every time I, something good would happen, I should balance it out by reminding myself, okay, don't get ahead of yourself. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Maybe things are going to go the other way. And I thought that was being balanced. But actually... That was just taking a step forward and pulling myself back again. Self-sabotage. Yeah, it's kind of like a mini self-sabotage. It wasn't in a very negative way that I would have realized it was self-sabotage. I thought I was just staying, you know, staying cool, staying balanced. But actually, it is self-sabotage because people who get really, really far ahead, they really, really believe in their goal and they put 
all their resources into getting to the goal. So as opposed to always thinking, oh, maybe I shouldn't try too hard. Maybe this, maybe that, you know, let's just step a little bit forward, but not too much. And, um, and they're never going to get as far as people who say, this is the goal. Well, how do I put all the odds in my favor? So how do you, how have you started uh, approaching doubt with a different mindset? I, even for me, like when I, I have a goal and I'm like, I'm, I'm expanding my business right now. And I was planning on opening this other wing a month ago. We're still not, you know, we're still three weeks or so from opening. And so you have this ambitious goal, but then you have a roadblock and then you have another roadblock. And then, you know, and that you can start seeing all those roadblocks that in and of itself creates that, well, maybe I'm not doing the right thing or it creates that doubt. So how did you start approaching doubt differently to be able to just say, you know what, those are roadblocks and those aren't the pattern. Those aren't the truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's a good question. I would say what I started doing in terms of my thinking process was, it's not easy. I mean, I had some huge major roadblocks and um, of course in the moment it's it's not easy, but it's it's really about number one, creating that practice where every single day you go back to focusing on the goal and detaching the goal from the process because sometimes you think about the goal and right away you start thinking, okay, but how am I going to get to that thing? But there's a, there's a time and a place for the process and there's a time to just say, this is the goal, this is what's going to happen. I don't know how exactly, but that's what's happening. And then you deal with those roadblocks as they, as they come up. That's an interesting statement to detach the goal from the process because without a process, you're not going to get to the goal. But I, I get what you're saying. Like it can... I overwhelm the hell out of myself by going like, okay, here's the goal. And here are the 700 things I need to do in order to get there. You know what? I'm already tired just thinking about it. So forget that goal. Oh, for sure. And I think, you know, if you have 700 steps, that's where you probably need to make your goal. Some people love these giant goals. For some people, those giant goals just overwhelm them and you need to make them a little bit smaller. So it's more digestible, more doable. And then you can, you can really break down the actual steps towards getting there. So what does that do for you, though, to detach that that goal from the process? I think what it does is it allows room for that kind of luck or serendipity, because there comes a moment when you start to try to control things too much. And I'm sure you know this feeling when you just you feel like you have this goal. OK, now I believe in the goal. It's going to happen. And you focus on it so much and you put so much pressure on yourself to make and you know maybe you have your 700 steps in front of you and you're working at it and now it's been a week you've been working at it so hard it still hasn't happened and then you start to feel like okay is this all for nothing I mean it's been a full week right <laughs> or a full month or sometimes even a full year that you're working on something hasn't happened yet and you start getting burned out and feeling like is this all for nothing so I think when you start to have that feeling in you you have to take a step back and remember that not everything is in your control. And the great thing is you don't have to do everything because when you allow a little bit of space, this is where you can allow luck to come in. And sometimes these crazy connections can start to happen. And a lot of the times, some of those biggest upgrades happen without you really having to do anything. And it will seem quite effortless. That's not to say you did nothing. Probably the whole process, all the steps you've been taking are leading towards that magic moment. But a lot of times those big, big things happen very easily. I imagine that that mindset of detaching the goal from the process also allows for some mistakes. Like you can make a mistake and get off track and have a roadblock, but not lose sight of the focus. I, I really love that outlook on that. 
Yeah, and I try to see it as a bit of a game as well. And I, I, there's a lot in this entrepreneurial world, there's a lot of talk about hustle and it's short-term pain for long-term gain and it'll all be worth it to, to go through the struggle and all this kind of stuff. I'm not super into that, actually. I think you should enjoy your entire life and not just your years after the five years that you put the struggle into your business. And you should find ways to, I'm not saying you don't have to work hard, of course you do, but you should find ways to really enjoy the work that you're doing, enjoy the process. It's not always easy to do, but there is a time to sort of go, you know what, this is a great life I'm living right now. I'm really enjoying the work that I'm doing. I'm getting to explore entrepreneurship or I'm getting to do this big life upgrade and get this brand new career that I've never had before. Most people aren't willing to do this. And to really enjoy that period of your life as well and not feel like you're you're sacrificing that time. Yeah, good segue, because I wanted to bring this back earlier in the conversation. You made a statement that there's a phenomenon about entrepreneurship. Like you, you were helping people change careers to more alignment with what they were doing. But now you're seeing this influx of people who are like, it's not a career working for someone at all. It's doing my own thing. What are you seeing and what do you think is causing that? Oh my goodness. People are just so tired of the old corporate structure. I, and I think the main thing is people want to feel free. They don't want to feel like caged birds. They don't want to feel like they have to commute, go into the office or, okay, working from home. That's great. But still, if you're if you're back-to-back meetings all day long at your desk from home and you're not enjoying the work you're doing, it's not really that much better than going into the office. So people just want to feel like a person, again, they want to feel that they matter. They want to feel that all this effort they're putting in matters and it's not just to take home a paycheck. Yeah, I think there are a number of reasons why, why that's happening. Number one, a lot of our corporate structures right now were created during the Industrial Revolution. And for some reason, they've just stayed. And even though we have AI now and we have all of these things that are um, replacing, you know, automating tasks and we don't need people to just be a cog in a wheel anymore, the, the workplace is still kind of designed for those types of jobs. And I really think we need to be moving more towards people as a different type of resource than they were in the past, because we have robots to do a lot of the work that was being done in the past. So now people need to be more seen as a very creative resource or a kind of resource that we really can't replicate with any kind of AI or robots. And that means we need to treat them more as humans and we need to take care of people's brains and not glorify so much this um, no sleep, hustle hard kind of uh, mentality, like be in the office until 10 p.m. just to show face and show that you're you're there working. It, it's I, I don't think we should be glamorizing this anymore. We should be glamorizing the person who's well-rested, has a great personal life, well-balanced, and then can deliver amazing ideas. Because it's I, I think it's a lot less about the hours you put in and more about really the value that, that you're bringing. Because a robot will always be able to out number the hours that you can do. How do you see that changing in the employment sector in the future? Are are employers starting to think that way too? Or what's going to be the catalyst that makes employers have to change their mindset and value people more? Well, I don't know if you've heard, but they're talking about the great resignation right now where a lot of people are just quitting. They're just, you know, the pandemic made them really rethink their priorities in life and made them realize, what am I doing? spending so much time on a job that I don't care about. This is this is wasting my life away and people are just quitting. And so that's one thing. Uh, employers, some are realizing, some are not. 
but the ones who are not realizing it, people are just going towards the ones who are, or like you mentioned before, people are just going freelance or creating their own, uh, their own businesses. And it's been really interesting working with some of the clients in my program. Some of them, when they join, they don't know what they want. They don't necessarily know they want to start a business or know whether they want to start uh, working in corporate. But once we look at their goals and what kind of person they are, et cetera, then they realize, okay, I do want to work for myself or I do want to work in corporate. And for some people, they do both. Like I have a client right now, she's starting her own business. And at the same time, she is looking for a new and better position. So you can also have what's called a portfolio career and do a bit of both. And it's really just about having the freedom to choose and create life on your terms and do what's, um, what's best for you. And ultimately what's best for employees, what's best for people is also what's best for companies because unhappy people are not the most productive people. I'm sure you've seen these people in the office when they just look gloomy and they hate their life, they hate their job. They're hard to approach, they're hard to work with, they're not, they're not productive people to work with. So, um, so the sooner companies start realizing that and start really checking what, what do people want, how can they work together in a way that makes everyone happy, the better um, their, bottom, their bottom lines are going to be as well. Well, let's, uh, can we dig into your program a little uh, and just go over kind of how it works and I, I've written some of your student reviews uh, on the internet and, you know, you're taking people from one sector into another sector and how does it work? How does the program work? So it works. The steps are similar to what I was describing earlier. Basically, number one is to get clear on where you're at right now. So who are you right now? What is forming your identity as a person, as a professional? And to get out some of the gunk that's probably been holding you back, all of the long hours of work, all of the years, the toxic work environments, the people you've been surrounding yourself with, really separating yourself from all of that to figure out who is at the core and who are you, what do you, what do you actually want to do? The second thing is to allow yourself to dream bigger, really get clear on what those, those big visions, those goals actually are in a completely unrealistic way. Like if anything were possible, what would you do? And the amazing thing is sometimes people write down these things they think are completely impossible or maybe, you know, down the line, 10 years, 20 years, it would be nice. And sometimes after the program within, sometimes, I'm not saying this happens to everyone, but sometimes within a couple of weeks, they start achieving those crazy things because it's just, they've been so held back by their environment, by their jobs for so long, they weren't able to really achieve those, um, those big goals. So, so that's a really cool thing. And then after that, it's getting into the value. So what do you have to offer? How do you communicate that? And that includes rewriting your CV, your cover letters, which are important, but a lot of people start there, right? They start with, okay, make my cover letter perfect. And they use all those corporate cliches and th things that don't work anymore. But when you come at it really with what is my mission and what do I have to offer? And how do I position myself as a spelling, as a, um, a specialist in my field, then those documents, it's no longer just a CV and a cover letter. It's really a great communication tool to showcase your value. But then it's pointless to have these perfect CVs and cover letters if nobody sees them because you're sending them out with these hundreds of applications. So then the next part is the networking and figuring out how to access the right people and then talk to them in the right way to start getting those interviews and those job offers coming in. So what do you what what do you say to somebody who is in a and I'll just use an example but the principal being 
that maybe they're not qualified for what they really want to do. So you get somebody that comes in and says, I, I'm a cashier at Target, but I really would love to be a doctor and practice medicine, helping people in third world countries. Like, how do you handle that situation? Yeah, I, I would say that the credentials obstacle is one of the main blocks that people have. Most of the time, it's a mental block. Obviously, if someone comes to me and says, I really want to be a doctor, but I'm a cashier at Target, I would tell them, well, you will need to get a medical degree. You're not going to be able to just switch without the without the degree. But for most jobs, you don't need a new degree. Most of the people, enter, not, not everyone in my degree, in my program has a degree, but usually the ones who don't have a degree have experience in, in a certain field and the ones and the others do have a degree in something else. And that's enough. You don't need to go and get more and more degrees because as you know, in the job market, degrees aren't that valuable. It's kind of like the, the just the prerequisite that you often need to have for hiring processes. But besides that, no employer is going, wow, you have this master's degree. That's amazing. So is the hang up that people think they need credentials that they don't necessarily need to have? Yeah, most of the time it's like a limiting belief. Oh, I don't have the credentials. So again, it really depends on the specific situation. But sometimes they, the thing that they think that they want to do needs a degree. But once we dig, and sometimes it does, but when we dig into it, there's something else they could do that gives them the same satisfaction, the same or more money, and they don't need a degree, a degree for that. Or once they network the right way, they can get people to recommend them and refer them for positions so they're not competing against other people with the degrees. Because even if you need a degree, ideally you would get the degree while you're already working in the job. Otherwise what happens is you go back to school, you spend minimum a year, probably more, a lot of money getting this degree, and then you're a new grad again. Nobody wants to go back to being a new grad, right? Especially when you're a little, you're not uh, 19 anymore. It's, um, yeah, it's not where you want to be. So ideally you want to come in as someone who's already experienced and not a new, a new graduate. Yeah. On your, you keep talking about networking and a piece of that you have on your website, you talk about branding and personal branding is one of those things that I don't think enough credit is given to or enough people talk about. Can you explain to us what personal branding is and how to leverage it for your process for the system that you're talking about? Yeah. Personal branding is really important, especially these days. And now it's taken on a digital element as well, which is which is really exciting actually, because it means you can brand yourself even among people across the world who don't know you, but they can get to know you online from your online image. And it's really, really key to being able to access the hidden job market, which is another thing I'm always talking about that sounds really mysterious, but it's not. The hidden job market is just all the positions that are not posted online, which is most of them. And people go, well, where are all these mysterious positions in, in the hidden job market, Dahlia? And uh, yeah, these positions are all around us, but you don't hear about them. If you're not networking the right way, if your personal brand isn't on point, people don't know who you are. When you have a strong personal brand and the right people know about you, they won't post anything online. They'll just reach out to you and they'll say, hey, we have this project. It sounds perfect for you and your goal. Would you be interested? So that's why personal brand is so important. Oh, especially for a career shift. So a career shift, it's less about what experience do you have in this specific position and more about where do you want to go? And your personal branding can really help with that. 
Yeah. Just give us a little bit more about like what a personal brand is. Is it similar to like the brand of Nike? Like I hear that I can picture the image in my head. It is, you know what? It is similar. It's, it's what people say about you when you're not in the room. It's what people know you for. And it's also your direction. So what you want to do, a lot of people know what they want to do or think they know what they want to do, but nobody else knows. And they're kind of embarrassed about it and they don't want to admit what they really want to do because it's just so different. But if they would start talking about what they want and they, they would say, this is, this is what, what, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. I have a client who, uh, became a beer writer as a result of my program, but she never would have said I'm a beer writer before because she wasn't writing about beer. I mean, she'd never done that before. She was teaching at a school, but she started telling people, Hey, I'm a beer writer. And all of a sudden she started getting beer writing contracts. It's really what people know you for and what they see as, as your value that you're able to, to offer. And it's also how you do your job. So you know, you can also take your values and you put that into the way that you work. A lot of people are really tired of a lot of the ways of working, especially in the corporate space. And so they want to recreate a career on their terms, um, integrating their values in the way they work. So that might be authenticity. They're tired of the office politics. They want to be someone who's very upfront, very authentic in all of their communications with, uh, with everyone they work with. So that their value, that, that important value to them becomes part of their brand. That, that's got to be a hard paradigm shift, especially for people who are leaving a job market where their value is a job description that they filled for a decade. And it's, I think if you're leaving that, you're like, oh, here's my value. Here's my job description and the things that I've done at that job. So this is what I'm capable of doing in the future. That's a really hard mental shift. And this goes back to like your doubts and all those other things that you were talking about. What are some approaches that you need to take to be able to embed that into yourself? Like, I am a beer writer and really own that for yourself. Yeah, that's a great question. It's, it's, it's a huge shift really from trying to fit yourself into a box, which is the box of the job description and trying to define yourself by, by what's out there on a job board. And, um, and then having that freedom to step outside the box, look inward, really figure out who you are, what you want, and then have those jobs created for you based on what you, what you actually want. So how you how you do that i think it's a series of really really key decisions so the first decision which is what we already talked about is deciding that you deserve it you really deserve the best possible life for yourself no you don't need to prove it to yourself you just you deserve it and that's a decision it's not something you necessarily need to someone has to give you a an award and say okay you now deserve to live life on your terms no no one's going to hand that a word to you Right, so you need to just decide that on your own, and and there are there are ways you can boost that sense of deserving as well, but you need to make these decisions that yes, I deserve life on my terms, and then next decision, okay, I'm going to start talking about the kind of life that I want, and then you need to decide to get out there and start talking about it, and then you need to decide to start reaching out to people, and and um, I had this happen actually last week with one of my clients, like when he started the program, he was really kind of cynical, you know, and, and he told me, I have no network. I really don't know anyone in the space I want to get into. And I went, okay, great. So we're starting from zero. And then last week when we talked, he had met up with all of these really high profile people in exactly the space he wants to get into. And I was going, well, how did you meet? How did you go from zero 
to meeting all these people. And a lot of it was just that he'd entered a new mind space where things were, he decided that this was possible. He decided this was gonna happen and he decided he was deserving. And so he started reaching out and all of a sudden he was making all of these great, uh, great connections. That's amazing. And I firsthand experience, the moment you're like, you know what, I'm going to do this. You start to connect dots that weren't there before. They just appear out of narrow. Like, oh, well, this person knows somebody. I'll reach out. All of a sudden, it, again, it falls in your lap like you got lucky, right place at the right time, right? Definitely, definitely. I mean, I really wish it's really sad when I see people who have so much to offer and I see someone who's not even as good as them getting positions just because they don't doubt themselves. They just, they just do it. And someone else who's this amazing person, great at their job, but they have these doubts and they try to always stay balanced and um, evaluate themselves against the invisible competition. And so they don't go for things and, uh, and they, don't, they don't stack the odds in their own favor. They're always going, well, hopefully, you know, this word, hopefully, hopefully it'll work out. Well, don't say hopefully, say it's working out. It's in, in, in process right now. I'm putting everything on my side to make it happen. And um, it, it's happening. That's a hard place for people to get to for sure. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to take too long though, because once you start, once you start thinking that way, it creates that snowball effect. It, it takes some practice. It won't be one day to the next, but within a couple of weeks, you can definitely transform your your mind like this. Because I see it all the time with my clients. Like between, it's an eight week program, and just within the first couple of weeks, you start seeing that they become a different person. What's the value of having someone like you, a coach? while you're going, like, let's say I'm going through this process and I've identified my job's unfulfilling. I'm just kind of checking the boxes, going through the motion. I'm defining my job description. I know I want more. I know I have value to bring to the table. I've decided that. Why can't I just do it on my own? What value does a coach bring to that conversation? I've worked with a lot of different coaches and um, the whole process is really eye-opening. I mean, it's, it's, it's totally different from doing it by yourself. And I know I used to think, well, I'll try it by myself with YouTube videos. And then if it doesn't work, then I'll hire a coach, which is <laughs> a very unfortunate way to think now in hindsight, because it goes with your sense of deserving. It's like, well, it's either a sense of I'm going to I'm going to cheat the system and see if I can, you know, do things almost the DIY way, I'm just gonna watch the YouTube videos and see if it works. And if not, you, you know, but you're wasting all that time and you're not stacking the odds in your own favor. So you're kind of, as soon as you're not putting everything on your side to win, it's that you're stacking things towards your doubt. You're kind of going, well, if it doesn't work out, then I'll hire the coach. It's like worst case scenario, once I hit rock bottom and I've wasted all this time and it's not working, then I'll hire the coach. Versus you should be trying to get as much help as you possibly can, because this is your goal. So you need to do everything you can to get to your goal. So that includes getting help from, from a coach. If you can find someone who aligns with what you're trying to do, that includes asking other people for help. And that's like what we discussed before, you know, telling people what your goal is. You're not going to be there on your own, applying to jobs, hoping you get the job. And then you'll tell people you got this great job by yourself. No, you need to be out there talking to people, asking them for help so that you can get this job. So that's the first one. It's kind of the sense of deserving and stacking odds in your favor, which is already a huge step for a lot of people to enlist help, because we do tend to be taught, like try to do everything on your own and be independent. And it, it's a big problem because you don't really get successful without the help of networking and, and all these other people around you. So that's the first thing. Uh, the other thing is, of course, to see all your blind spots, right? Like you just can't see what you 
what you can see. And it's a lot like if, I don't know if, if either of you have done a lot of sports before, but you would never try to win the Olympics without a coach. And, oh, I'm going to do it by myself. And if I, if I don't win the Olympics, I'm going to, maybe I'll hire a coach next year. Um, well, no, you're, you're not going to win the Olympics. There's no, there's no way. Um, and I know, I don't know. Great example. Yeah, but it's, it's the idea of a coach, right? I used to play a lot of badminton and you can really notice, like if I just go and I play badminton every single day and I keep practicing, there's a, in the beginning, you'll go, you'll get better really quickly. Like when you're first learning a new skill, but then you're going to plateau at a certain point and you can keep playing over and over again every day for probably years, but you're never going to really improve. You're just going to kind of maintain your level. And then if you start working with a coach, all of a sudden they're going to say, okay, this backhand you've been doing for years and that you've really now ingrained in your system, it's not really the right backhand. You need to change your technique. And it's going to be a little bit painful at first because you have to make certain improvements, but then you're, you're going to be way better and you're going to be able to start beating other people and improving your game. So it's really like in, in sports, you know, without a coach, you don't know your blind spots, you don't get better as fast. And, uh, and then obviously you, you have a, a process to, to reach your goal. In the case of my program, a lot of it is also, uh, like, I mean, the people I work with, they're very smart, they're great professionals, they know how to get jobs, like they're not, they're not people who are unable to get a job for themselves, and they're just, you know, um, I don't know, they don't know how the job market works. But a lot of times what the process of it, that they've learned is pretty outdated. So it's also a case of revamping their process so that it's more modernized for the new economy. And it's not this whole thing of writing a corporate CV or cover letter and sending that in. So I think we're getting kind of close on time here. Uh, we would love to direct people towards your program, towards any content that you're offering. What is something right now that people can start? Like, let's say they're still in that ah, DIY, but I want to, I want to dip my toe in the water. You have something to, to kind of cleanse that palate for people. Yes, I have a, a free class that's online. It is a class on the four shifts toward highly paid work that you love, because the whole concept is to get a job that you love without giving up on income and even increasing your salary. So the class is at accelerateyourambitions.com slash free class. And it's about 45 minutes and that will take you through these key steps. And it is really worth watching because it shows you um, especially the landmines, like the things people are doing over and over again, which are things they should not be doing. So at the very least, after watching that, you can stop doing the things that are, are holding you back. Once somebody signs up for your course, what can they expect? It's eight weeks long. Do they work directly with you? Is it mostly online content? What is the What does the course look like as far as just the way people take it? Yeah, good question. So in terms of the logistics, it's eight weeks. And I have a video mission for everyone every single week. And then we also talk directly with one another. So we have a, a weekly call, which is why I have to end this podcast soon, because we have our weekly meeting with, with all the students. And then we just have back and forth discussions one-on-one uh, -on -one with each other throughout the week. That's awesome. Dahlia, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. You're very busy. We will make sure that people get in contact with you and your website. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. I love the premise for, for your show. So it was really exciting when I got your, your invite. Awesome. If there's anything else we can do for you, let us know. Thank you. Likewise. Yeah. Thanks, Dahlia.